Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, RapidSOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become RapidSOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit RapidSOS.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey friends, welcome to episode 21. My guest today is Jim Lake EMP. Jim is the director of the Charleston County, South Carolina Consolidated Dispatch Center. With 40 years in public safety, Jim brings a wealth of knowledge to the 911 industry. From field responder as a firefighter EMT to having over 175 employees in his charge, Jim is the epitome of a public safety difference maker. Join us as we discuss various leadership topics and hear how Jim played a significant role in my 911 path back in the early 2000s and how our paths randomly crossed 13 years later. So, Jim, uh, as usual, I am Wicked excited to have you here more so, more so than most, uh, not, not for the simple fact that, you know, it's that you hold more clout than anyone else, but in my mind, maybe you do, but because you are originally from Massachusetts, so I don't have to translate when we speak throughout this, this particular podcast. So how are you, my friend? I'm great, Tracy. And yes, I'll understand all the slang and the words you use. So we'll, we'll, we'll communicate very well together. Absolutely. I always joke that I add R's where they don't belong. I take them away where they do. And if I get really squirrely, I add A-H to things. So that's that's how you translate for me. And uh, what was funny is I saw some folks at Nina last week, which I saw you there. We'll talk a little bit about how you know that was. But I was having a conversation with somebody and they said, wow, I didn't realize how strong your Massachusetts accent was. And I said, I just thought for my, for a minute. And I said, I have literally been locked up with those people from Massachusetts for the last two years. And it's contagious. Like, I guess being there and traveling like I did before, I would pick up accents from across the country. Yeah. I know that to be true. When I go home, it's like, all of a sudden I start using words that I probably shouldn't have used before. (laughs) So funny. So funny. So we will get into how we reconnected because I think that's just a a fun and a great story. But, you know, before we get started, Jim Lake, you are the director of the Charleston County, South Carolina Consolidated Dispatch Center. 
beautiful area, gorgeous, gorgeous area, very large center. Uh, but do me a favor for the folks that may not know you, which isn't going to be a lot. Just give us a little background on your career. Like, where did you start out and how did you get to North Carolina? Because I think I need to know that because you just kind of vanished from Massachusetts. So I'm going to need those details. Yeah, there's a gap there. It's kind of like I went through a time warp. Uh, so I, uh, I've been in public safety for over 40 years. I started off uh, in Massachusetts, obviously, as a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in a small town, so I was a firefighter and EMT as well. And uh, at one point, worked for the Massachusetts State Police, uh, overseeing a communications center there. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a pretty interesting journey when they when they said, "Well, we'll pay you double to work Monday through Friday instead of driving around in a cruiser overnight." I, well, yeah, um, I, I, okay. I can do that. <laughs> That's a no brainer. <laughs> Again, I'm I'm like most people that enter into the business. I said, "Well, how hard can that be? The phone rings, they answer it. You know, somebody <laughs> calls on the radio, you push a button. I mean, it's not hard, right? That one's easy." Right. Yeah, we've learned better. <laughs> yeah. so, so several communication centers later and a consulting job. Uh, when I went to work for the consulting company, my first job was here in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, it was interesting when uh, when we were all done, my, my boss says, you know, they're looking for a director. They're looking for somebody exactly like you. <laughs> <laughs> you checked said, all the boxes. <laughs> so I said, all right, well, let me, let me sign up for that job. So I did. Uh, wow. And, uh, well, you know, it's it's from being up north. I'm I'm tired of the cold, yep. tired of the snow, and it, it really, for the most part, we weren't getting much snow back then. It was mostly ice. Yes. So I wanted someplace close to the beach and someplace warm, and this was just a perfect fit. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and you you definitely lucked out. Like the, the, I don't think there could be a, a more pretty place than where you are right now and and doing what you are doing. So. Yeah. I have to share how you and I met way back when in 2003, uh, you had been doing some work with the Massachusetts State 911 Department. Um, You were, uh, what was your role with them? I wasn't quite sure what your role was, but I I know that that you had a a huge hand in part of my path. So I want to talk about that. But what was your actual role at the State 911 in Massachusetts? Uh, I started off as a instructor, a trainer, yep. and then um, was uh, assigned to oversee the uh, training and public education piece of it and, you know, kind of grow that out. And uh, I have to give a shout out to, to Mona Wallace. She's, she's the rock star up there. And oh, yeah. she was a lot of inspiration for all of that. So, you know, working with Mona, we were able to, to grow that out. And so that's, that's kind of how I got to the state. And of course, back then it was, they offered me, I could live anywhere. And then I wanted to live on the Cape. So I, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an easy choice too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so back then in 2003, I hadn't done a whole lot with the state and I one department. Mono was actually my trainer as a baby dispatcher. And I, you know, I always give her a shout out because I think, I think, whoever it is that trained you initially is going to set the foundation for your career. I I truly believe that. And between Mana's passion in the nine one class, and I still remember things from her, like big Al, little Annie, like I will, I will never, ever, (laughs) ever forget that. And, um, 
you know, I, in 2003, I had taken over the Rochester Communication Center as the chief dispatcher, and I started going to meetings at the state and I won department. And then very quickly, I got involved with you. And uh, there was like a training committee that was created and it was a hot minute. Uh, Charles Garrity was was on there as well. Yeah. Um, but we were we were on the training committee and, and there were a lot of great things that were going to happen. And you were the one that encouraged me to apply for a trainer position at the state 911. They were looking for adjunct instructors. You helped me put together my first PowerPoint presentation and you were a huge cheerleader for me back then. Now, I remember standing at the podium in Taunton at at the um, state 911 and having to do my first kind of public presentation and you were in that audience. And I don't think until I circled back around, which we'll get to that when I when I re-met you okay. um, in 2016, I didn't realize what an influence you had played in that moment. That was my first presentation publicly. And from that moment on, it was my passion to teach to people. So I just want to say thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. So I, I don't know whether... I should apologize to the nine one world, or you know, take credit for the fact that. Uh, but I mean, obviously, your your personality, your energy, you know, and obviously your knowledge. But all of that brings such a great, positive presentation. Just Aww, I, I just love you. that about you. Thank you so much. So I had gotten to a place in my career where it was time. You know, I've talked about that on other uh, presentations, but I joined the team at Rapid SOS. And I went to my first conference in September and it happens to be the South Carolina conference. And for those of you that know Reinhard Eckel, he's very, you know, work driven, data driven. And, and so I get to this conference. I have no idea what I'm doing for rapid SOS. I've literally been working for them for like 10 minutes. And, um, he says, I'm going to go up to my room. I got some work to do. He says, but whatever you do meet Jim from Charleston County. He says, we need to work with Jim from Charleston County. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I remember standing at the bar and Jenny Mason comes over and she's like, Tracy, I need you to meet somebody. And she brings me over to you. And she's like, this is Jim. That's all she says. And I'm looking at you like, I know this guy. Like, where do I know this guy? And then it clicked where we knew each other from state of Massachusetts. And I'm like, what are you doing, Jim? And he's like, I'm running Charleston County. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is the guy. This is the guy that he's I'm like, all right, I'm going to look really, really good in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have all the background information. Oh, yeah, I know all this. Oh, yeah. You, you were yeah. a star. You yeah, were a star. I was, I was like, yep. All right. I'm going to get this guy. And, you know, just like many folks, I know that, um, I know you are a tremendous forward thinker. You, you will go out and grasp the new things. Tell me your thoughts on when the whole rapid SOS thing started. I'm just, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are. Cause I know there was some resistance and I had to do some kind of some schmoozing. I, I went to one of your presentations where you guys did some wireless uh, test calls and, and did a presentation on it, which was amazing. But what were your original thoughts? Oh yeah, the, you mean the original original rapid? Yes, SOS. like when oh, the yeah. when the yeah. foolish app was around. Uh, yep, that was that was kind of the the polite way of putting it. So, mm -hmm. uh, but like everything else, we do. We said, sure, we'll we'll give it a shot. We'll test it. 
So uh, we we put it through some tests and we went back and we provided some feedback and we said, yeah, this junk will we'll never use it. <laughs> Same. But that was the great thing about Rapid SOS, though. Unlike most companies, they took that and they said, oh, well, then we got to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, they came back with something much much better. It's been much uh, more improved for us, anyway. Yeah. And, and that was the thing I remember, you know, just having such a disdain for what they were doing. Like I was taking it personally. I'm like, oh, hell no, no, no. We're not going to get citizens to download a foolish app and use it to call 911. Like, what are you crazy? And uh, they were just so crazy that they, you know, they listened, they, they hired, I was the first person on the public safety team. So I was blessed to be a part of the, the beginning stages of that. Um, but then it turned into something, you know, that was, that was truly amazing. And I just, I think, I think it's, it's been really beneficial for a lot of folks, but not just rapid SOS, you guys bring in a lot of new technology. What are some of the other tools that you guys brought in that your folks have said, wow, this is just, this is game changing stuff. What are, what are some of the other things you guys are doing? So we, uh, we work with a company down here and they produce a product called Alistar. And for us, it brings in all of those tools. So what we're trying to get to is less screens for the dispatcher. Amen. Yeah. And it should be achievable if you can get the industry partners to work together to integrate into that one tool. Yeah. And so Alistar does that for us. So we have all sorts of uh, GIS maps, AVL, incident data, all of this flowing into one tool. So that, that's been a real game changer for us. And uh, we, we continue to use it. We developed something through them called uh, uh, 911helpme.com. Okay. And so from any internet capable device, you can contact 911. Uh, so from my computer, I can and do not, I can go 911helpme.com and put a request in for service. And so especially in our area, what we've tried to focus on is the alternate means of communication in case we do have a hurricane that takes out communication or an earthquake or something along those you know and that was one of the things that distressed me about moving here tracy is i did all my research but i didn't realize that this is an earthquake zone as well really (laughs) yes i would would not have thought that so that you know that drives a lot of what we do it's not just hurricanes that we have to watch out for but these other things as well so that that was one of the one of the better tools Uh, obviously we we've brought in some some other minor stuff but the bottom line is we feed it all into that tool so we can look at less yeah because that was one of the things that folks were really not receptive of well i'm not going to say not receptive for the most part when folks realized i remember my first year with rapid sos um when it was kind of just me and and um keith uh who was kind of part-time and you know, we were trying to tell folks like, no, they're moving away from the app and and they're going to get, we're going to get Apple and Google to put it in the device. And some folks were like, oh, this is amazing. And other folks were like, yeah, right. And uh, so we got to a place where Apple was going to announce, like we announced in, in June of 2018 at the national Nina in Nashville, that Apple was partnering with us. And so we were like, well, we got to give them some way to get the information if they haven't integrated. And that's where the rapid SOS portal was born. And most folks were like, yeah, this is really cool. But then you had that underlying, like, oh no, here's another screen. So we, we are one of those. Yeah. Uh, So to, to change the way we do business, to change the workflow, 
we incorporated another division in the center, so to speak. It's called communication specialists. And so their job is to solely monitor what's coming in through the portal and the other tools that we do have. Yeah. Because we we can't continue to build on the workload of our call takers and dispatchers. So we have uh, we do about nine hundred thousand incidents a year wow. through our center. So we're we're pretty busy and a couple thousand phone calls a day and we yeah. just we don't have time to distract ourselves from our main mission which is the caller and the dispatcher but there's such great supplemental information that we're pulling from that right right and i think that so this communication specialist how long has that position been in place it's, it's it hasn't been there too long right no no it's, since since about august of last okay. year uh, okay. so we're coming up on a year and uh it's amazing the the tools they're using. So they're they're tapping into DMV records. They're tapping into RMS records. So the the goal is from the time we get the call to the time the the responders get on scene, we know who's on scene. We know their background. We know wow. whether they've been arrested for, uh, or we know anything special about that location. So and this is this is a perp. This is a perfect position for that dispatcher or call taker that is a defective detective, right? They're yes. the ones that are like, I am going to find you. I'm going to find everything about you. I'm going to friend you on Facebook, but as somebody else, and I'm just going to dig and dig and dig and dig. And, and I think that that is an amazing role for somebody. And they're, I'm assuming they're receiving it very well. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, at first, the uh, call takers and dispatchers thought, well, they're taken away from my job, but once they realized all the things that they can tap into, you know, where, and again, it's, we've all met them. There, there's, those are the dispatchers that when they got a call, they were going to find out every piece of dirt about that call and solve yeah. the crime before they even got on scene. That's who right. these people are. Right. So uh, they get to use pretty cool tools like ALPR. They're going to be, they're looking at cameras and they're going to be the ones getting the text messages and the videos. And so we, we've got a control group, so to speak, that, are actually going to handle all of that next gen stuff. I love that I, because folks are afraid of this, right? And we and we know that. Uh, but to have a, a particular role, I think you're setting again. You're setting the bar. You're setting an example of how this can be done, you know, in a different way. Now, not everybody can have that type of position, but a lot of folks may not even know that that's an option. Right. So while we were at. Uh... At Nina National, Michelle Potts from Chandler, Arizona, and, and I did a presentation together. Okay. And she has a smaller agency, and she's got volunteers doing something similar. So we tried to show and demonstrate that there is a, a different level of that communication specialist, so to speak, depending on the size of your agency and, and what you really do. So uh, we, we hope that we made an impression on some people that you you don't have to have the full-blown thing. You can have something even a little bit smaller for the future agency. Yeah, I think that's I think that's amazing. And one of the things that I like to ask agencies that are, are forward thinkers who, you know, grasp onto the the new technology or the new resources is when you meet resistance, because I know that I know that you have to meet resistance in certain aspects. Is there something you could tell folks or other directors out there if their folks are just being really resistant to that change? Because we know that folks get resistance to change, right? Is there something that you could share with folks, you know, that could that makes it a little easier or you can get the buy in initially from your folks? I think the, the most success I've ever had is it's not my idea, it's theirs. 
Okay. So when, when I want to change something, there's all sorts of resistance. Okay. But when they want to change something, it's all, all engines full speed ahead. Right. So generally what I have done and, and I hope I'm not, I hope none of my people will hear this because then they'll use it against me. Um, <laughs> Chances are they will, because I know some and, folks in your center. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I'm just trying to plant the idea with them. So, you know, years ago, we talked about video and, and text coming in and uh, hearing from my people. Well, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's how we're going to solve that. Um, you know, I don't have time to do this. Okay. Here's how we're going to solve that. And so we're, give them the idea of, of how we can make it easier for them to yep. take that burden off them. But again, it's also a progression for them to be able right. to move up. But again, it's, it's, I think for any leader, we, we, I think any leader will tell you if it, if it's the leader's idea, it's wrong from the start and nobody will support it. Yeah. If it, if it comes from that grassroots, if it comes from the people that are doing the job, then, then they'll support that. They'll, they'll well, and it I, successful. What I think is is really important too is something that you just said is is you're getting them involved, yeah. even just that little piece. Even if it is maybe your idea or you're bringing you know the thoughts to the table, it's allowing them to have the input and in how it gets guided, and you're hearing what they're saying. So that comes back to what I am a firm believer in is the the people driven leadership. That you know I I was working with an agency not long ago, and and you know they asked how. What, what do the well-run centers do differently? Like, why, why are we struggling so much? And, and my response is always the same. Are you a people-driven leader or are you a task and results-driven leader? Because until you put the people first in the center, it's, you're going you're gonna to just keep meeting these challenges and challenges and challenges. And I don't dare ask you this question because if because if it is a yes, I don't I don't want to jinx you. But are you so you have how many positions do you guys have there? How many do I have filled, or how many do I have authorized? I was going to say how many do you have authorized, Uh, and how close are you to full staff? I think we have 172 authorized positions, and I think we're about 28 short at the moment. Okay. All right. So. That's not horrible, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. Let's call it what it is. It's horrible. (laughs) Try to be Um, nice. No, it's hard. It's, it's difficult. And, you know, I think it becomes more difficult for us. And uh, I'm trying not to show my age, but there, there's a difference in, in today's worker. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, not saying it's wrong at all, but there's, there's less desire to give their time the way we grew up giving our time. I mean, all the things that you do outside of 911, right. uh, all public service driven. And I think that's what we've gotten away from is that public service mentality. It's more about, okay, uh, my work-life balance and, you know, how much money am I making? And so there's a different different worker out there. And those are the ones we're trying to find are the public service driven ones. Yeah. And, and I think it is challenging these days, especially with what everything that's going on. And, you know, we've, we've had a very challenging couple of years. So, you know, to, to try to get folks kind of back in the habit of, of working, I'm assuming that's a challenge in and of itself as well. Right. I mean, I think there's multiple things going on out there, but I think 
um, if I had to pick an overall arching, I think it's just a reset for people. I think that the, you know, the past year and a half, two years have caused people to look back and say, okay, what is it I really want to do? Yeah. What's, what's my future? You know, is it, is it working here or is it following my dreams? Yeah. And we were just talking about that before we got started. You know, I was, I mean, who quits a perfectly good job in the middle of a pandemic? This kid, because, because I had a passion to do what I wanted to do. I, I felt that I needed to, to, to bring messages in different, different places in the nylon space. And, and I'm, I've been very blessed and lucky that, that it's actually working so far. So fingers crossed that it, that it stays that way. Uh, but there's a lot of things that I want to encourage folks to do. So I just recently started an ENP study group. I passed, finally passed, not that I failed, but I just finally had the time to invest in getting the certification of the emergency number professional through Nina. And you also have your ENP. So when I passed, I, I started a study group, a you know, free study group. So if anybody's listening and they just reach out and I'll get you the information on it, you can join anytime. Uh, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of you know, putting the slides together, tracking. I have, I have over 250 people in this particular study group. I don't even know how that happened, but it's amazing. <laughs> what message would you give to the folks that are either in my study group or thinking about taking the exam as to why you chose as an industry leader to have the letters behind your name, ENP for an emergency number professional? What do you, what do you think that brings to the, to the space? I, I can make it very simple for you. When I applied for this position in Charleston, I was up against some outstanding individuals. The reason I got this job was ENP. Wow. I was the one that had those three letters behind my name. And for them, that meant I understood the 911 industry and that's the person they wanted to run this center. That's, that's, awesome. that's as simple as it gets. Yeah, because that's exactly what it is. So somebody had asked me, like, you know, what what does it do for my career? And, you know, I, I said kind of just that if, if you're ever in a situation where you want to level up and you want to go, you know, move on to, you know, maybe a leadership position, it could be the difference between you and somebody else getting that. So I have said that before. And I've also said it keeps you current on what's changing in the industry. You know, I remember when I was a baby dispatcher, I, I put a lot into it, as I mentioned, with the foundation of, of MANA and my 9-1 class, as well as my trainer, Joanne, uh, when I first started in Freetown. And I always tried to stay up to date and current on, on things. But what I learned, and one of the things that I talked about, too, is whenever I would go to conferences, I would always go to the warm and fuzzy classes, like how to sing Kumbaya and how to make your people like each other and how to have a happy, you know, center and all that stuff. And I would avoid the technology <laughs> classes like the plague because I didn't feel that was, uh, you know, an area of, of strength for me. And, and I think by taking the EMP, it definitely helps you get a better understanding of, of how the 9-1 system works because it's ever changing, right? Yeah, I think that's the thing about the ENP. It's not a class you take to gain those strengths. Yeah. It's really more about identifying where you might be weaker so that you can go out and get that information, learn that piece of it, because you do. You usually have people that are strong in operations and weak in technology or vice versa. This is, yep. It helps you identify that so you're a more well-rounded leader. 
Yeah. And, and I love it. So we, it's been super successful. I'm very happy at, at how things are going folks. I did one, uh, earlier in the year and folks actually passed. So that makes me really <laughs> happy. That's a good start. It is a good start. It is a good start. Um, so how do you, how do you mentor folks in your, your agency? Cause I mentioned in the beginning, you, you were a mentor to me and you didn't even realize that you had mentored me. You don't even realize what a difference you're making in somebody's career. Uh, I know you are people driven leaders. So there has to be places where you are giving folks the opportunity to be their best selves, to, to grow in the profession. What, what would you tell folks that are, are being, I, w- I want to call it, let me see, I'm going to come up with a create, well, a, d- a director hoarder. And what I mean by that is you're the director and you got all the knowledge and you got all the stuff. And, and I want folks to get better at sharing the knowledge and the information and giving folks an opportunity to level up. What, what would you tell folks about that? Um, especially being in the industry as long as I have and being in the position I am, I usually, when I'm mentoring new leaders, I explain to them, What I look for is how many of the people that you lead have your knowledge. If you have it all, you're not a good leader. It's how many people behind you have that knowledge. If you're the one always stepping up and they're the ones always sitting behind, then that tells me you're not leading. You're you're managing. You're the director information hoarder or whatever. I have to give that a title. (laughs) I'm going to call it something cool. Don't be this person. Don't be that one. Don't be the hoarder. I think, you know, and especially in the mentoring, you've, you've got to have time. Yeah. You know, and I've had some people ask me and I just, I don't really have the time. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just, I know that in order for me to be my best with them, I've got to have the time to do that. But for, for my staff, the ones that I mentor here, it's really about getting them involved, finding out what they want to do and getting him into that position of their their strength so they can succeed. Yeah, and I think that's really, I, I, th- I think it's great that you mentioned that because a lot of times we have folks that are sitting in positions that might not be the best suited for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just remember, I think it was Einstein saying, if, if you judged a fish on his ability to climb a tree, like... <laughs> It, it just, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fare very well. And, and I remember leaving the 911 center thinking that, you know, I, this is what I know. This is where I feel the most comfortable. It wasn't until after I left that I realized that I was truly more personality and behavior and morale driven than technology driven. So again, when folks asked, you know, why I left Rapid SOS, it was because there was just different places where I felt my cup could be filled. And I think the value of you being able to see folks in your center that can be successful, we just have to make sure they're in the right place. Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, I've seen it so many times and I'll try not to use specific examples because somebody might listen and know what I'm talking (laughs) about. Be like, hey, that's me. (laughs) But sometimes we, we hire great people and we, we put them in a mechanics job, but their background is accounting. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's not going to work. And then you judge them and you end up having to discipline them and put them on a performance improvement plan and get rid of them. But that's not their background. It, it's, you got to find the right fit. 
Yep. And everybody has a has a fit. Everybody has a spot, especially when you find that spot, they're more passionate for. It. I mean, obviously, as I said earlier, I just love your passion, the way you go after things and uh, your yeah. energy. So I think that uh, you got to find your right fit. Well, and I learned a lot through the DISC human behavior model as well. So, you know, for those that don't know what DISC is, it kind of puts folks in, in one of four different categories and you're either extroverted or introverted and you're either task driven or people driven. And I know this is going to be a surprise, but I am an extroverted people person. <laughs> <laughs> No way, really. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just in case you didn't know. But I am also an introverted people person. So I, I'm a very high IS, which is an extroverted introverted people person, which the introverted part allows me to just to be quiet sometimes to to be in my own my own space. But what I learned is even through just an example with with rapid SOS. When we first started, Reinhardt had sent me to Tennessee and he gave me a list of 911 centers to go to. And he gave me a very simple task. And the task was I had like five wireless devices and I had to go in each center and I had to make test calls with each wireless device. And then I had to compare the location that was on the device to the location that was coming in on Annie and Allie and put it in a spreadsheet. And for most people, this would be pretty easy. <laughs> And in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is easy, but it wasn't. And I realized in that moment, well, let me, let me go back. What I felt like honestly was a failure because I was struggling to figure out a process in which to do this the best way. So in my way, the way, the way that my brain worked, I was like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a test call. And then I'm going to take a picture of the phone with my iPad and then I'm going to take a picture of the alley. And then, then I can just, I can take the lat long and I can plug it into a spreadsheet later. Yeah. In theory that worked out in my head, except, uh, forgot one little step, didn't know which device it was when I took the picture. And number two, if the picture was blurry, I didn't delete it right away. So therefore none of the pictures lined up and I was screwed. <laughs> Yeah, I knew you. I knew you were having problems as soon as you said spreadsheet. Spreadsheet and Tracy just don't go together. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And and the ironic part about that, and the reason why I share this story is, Reinhardt couldn't understand why this was so challenging for me because in his mind, doing a spreadsheet is just it. It comes second nature. And I just remember saying to him, he's like, you know, I don't understand why this is so challenging. And I'm like, well, it's almost like you hugging a stranger that's crying on a bus. Like I have no problem hugging a stranger that's crying on the bus. You may find it challenging. <laughs> did he get it? He did. He did. And, and I always, I always say that Reinhardt and I, we just, we had this, this moment where we just had to figure each other out. And we did which was awesome because I made him a little softer and he made me a little more disciplined. And I think when you have a team like that, where you can see what, where folks strengths are yeah. and you can pair them with somebody, not compare, you can pair them with somebody who has strengths in another place. Right. So putting yeah. somebody who is very task driven and wants to get something done quickly so they can move on to the next thing, like a D style personality in a training position that might be challenging because if you got somebody like me and you're a trainer, it's going to take a little while because I want to tell some stories. 
And the D doesn't want me to tell stories. So then it becomes a conflict, uh, right? So with that, I want to ask you the question. Okay. How do you manage? And I don't want to say manage because I, I, I use that term. <clears throat> you have 170 something people in your charge. You're not in charge of them. They're in your charge. That's a lot of different personalities. Yes. What do you guys do that, that you would consider successful in maintaining a good morale? Oh, that's, that's always tough, especially in the business we're in. Yeah, um, it is. It is. So one of the things that we learned was that I can't change the morale. And for the most part, I don't really have any good ideas. <laughs> well, at least, it, at least it, you admit it. it. <clears throat> I admit it. It, yeah. it. But it really comes from them. So uh, what we did is we, uh, we adopted the Disney model. Ooh, okay. So Disney Institute has classes. And so we sent a few of our people to classes to learn what is the Disney way. Now, we don't want to be Disney. Right, right. But there are things they do right. So we've been on a, about a two-year, probably a two and a half years into a, a culture change for us. Uh, so we don't eat our young. I hate yes. that. I hate that. I know. Uh, but, but that seems to be the biggest problem, at least in my experience across most agencies, is that the, the young get eaten at an early age or they learn to toughen up. And then you end up with more people that want to eat their young. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. And it's a short time. It's a short time span. <clears throat> I, I remember I was teaching emergency medical dispatch, um, I don't know, 10 years ago. And in this one particular class that I was doing for the state nine one department, there was a telecommunicator in the front row. She was new brand spanking new in the front row, smiling hair was done. Makeup was done. And her coworkers were in the back row, slouched down sweats, you know, casual. You could just, you could see the difference in the two, the two categories, right? So veteran and, and new dispatcher. And I saw that girl five years later and she was a very different person. She was the back row now, huh? She was in the back row <laughs> and her, her attitude had changed. It was no longer sunny disposition and positive and smiling. And I want to help people. And I love this job and, and all that. It was, it was just a very different, different switch. And, and I think, you know, and, and anybody that listens to me or spends five minutes with me knows that mental health and wellness for me is, is huge. And I do think that we have to get better at making things better in a mental health aspect. So when folks are training people, they're not passing on that, you know, the, the negativity. I, I just, I wrote a new uh, keynote presentation and the title of it is reignite that smoldering flame. And I refer to kind of in the beginning, you know, when you're sitting around a campfire and the campfire's blazing and you're around there with your friends and, you know, everybody's having some drinks and all is good and people are smiling and having a good time. Like that's the beginning of your career. And then over time, you know, folks start to move out and, and the fire starts to go down and then you're kind of left with these smoldering coals. And it's like we need to get folks to to reimagine or reignite that smoldering flame, like throw something on it, do something different, give them something to do that's going to reignite that passion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you get cold from sitting around that cold fire too. Yeah, so. you do, you do, you do. And I can appreciate it. I, I know at the end of, of my time in the 9-1 center, I was dealing with PTSD and 
you know, I wasn't given the job everything I had. And, and I knew that when I wasn't giving the job everything I had, uh, it was time to go because there are too many people that rely on the folks in the center to, to do their job, right? To, to give it everything that they have. Uh, is that Disney class something that other folks in the 9-1 space can take advantage of? Or is that, oh, yeah, yeah. how did you go, stumble upon that? Uh, you can Google Disney Institute. They have a list of classes. I think right now they're offering them virtually, which is, which is a less expensive class. Um, but uh, yeah, the in-person ones were awesome because it, uh, it would stay on Disney property. They would immerse you in the culture. They would walk you around and, and show you how the supervisors lead. Yeah. And so you actually were able to learn. So that's, uh, that's a great model to learn from. But I mean, there are all sorts of great models out there. You, I think the, the key thing is to adopt a model and, and stick to it and make it work. It's, it's time consuming. It's, it's not immediate results. Right. So you just got to commit to it, but you've got to commit to, it's really about the people figuring out which approach you want to take to, to support your people. And, and you have to get the buy-in too. And, you know, when you had mentioned, I think it's good that you mentioned that it's, you, you're in a two-year process at this point because it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. One of the, um, the leaders that I've been following pretty closely is uh, Bob Chapman from Barry Way Miller Company. Now, I knew nothing about Barry Way Miller. I didn't know that they made a whole bunch of things. Like, they just make a lot of things. They, they bought up way back in the day. They were like a, a container company, and then they made bottles for liquor and milk and, and all this stuff. And then before you know it, they were buying up all these small companies, and they're a huge industry now. And when Bob Chapman took over, uh, he realized that people weren't happy. And he saw that in a break room. One day he was visiting one of the plants and everybody was in the vape break room and they were talking and chatting. And, and all of a sudden the, the whistle blew. Like I just, I visualized the, the bird on the Flintstones, like, <laughs> like time to go back to work. And people were like dumping out their coffee and, and their heads went down and they were walking back out to the floor. And he, he thought to himself, like, this is not the environment that I, that I want. And he worked really hard over time to switch from what they were doing to a more people driven leadership. And, you know, at first folks were very skeptical and, you know, cautious and, you know, wanting to know, is this, is this legit? Is this going to work? And uh, yeah, over time they got to a place and, and how do you know the culture is good where you are when more than one generation is working for that, business. Yeah, if, right? they're, if they're bringing in their friends and family, you know, that, uh, that says a lot. Yeah. So one of the questions I ask in one of my, my leadership surveys, so I've worked with a couple of centers and done some leadership surveys to work with their leadership team is, uh, one of the questions is, would you refer employment to a family or friend? And that tells a lot. <laughs> we ask that question on our exit interviews and yeah. we make sure we spend a lot of time analyzing that because people going out the door have nothing to lose. Right. Right. So it, it's great to get that feedback. And they're going to, uh, they're going to tell you, they're going to tell you what you, what you need to fix and, and what you don't need to fix. So 
I could sit here and talk to you all day long, but unfortunately we have to wrap up soon. Okay. Is there anything that you can tell? I, I want you to give some advice to somebody who is wanting to level up, that they're sitting in the background, they don't feel confident, they don't feel like they could move forward, they'd never get picked. If there's somebody out there that's listening that wants to level up, that wants to become a supervisor or, you know, or even a supervisor that wants to, to leave their current center to go be a director somewhere, but they're doubting themselves, what would you say to that person? Um, I think what I would say to that person is that what, what I look for and why some people don't advance is lack of leadership skills. Okay. Uh, we are severely lacking leadership management. I can teach you how to do a budget, all of those things. But if your focus is people driven leadership, uh, work on those skills, um, work on your positivity mm -hmm. and your openness. I think for so long, especially in our industry, uh, you know, fire, we heard it from fire for years, 200 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. <laughs> don't be, don't be stuck in that. This is 911. We've always done it this way. We can't do it any way different. Exactly. Exactly. Cause I know there's so many folks that are just settling and, and I think that that really scares me for the profession. I, I started this podcast and my hope was to encourage folks to, one, get, get the mental health resources that they need to stay in the profession. You know, one of the, one of the presentations I'll be doing, and this will air after APCO, uh, but one of the sessions I'll be doing at APCO is, you know, from peace out to peace within. <laughs> You yeah, know, that's, that's pretty important. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in the session, it's not to encourage folks to leave the profession in, in actuality, I want folks to hear my story so they can get the tools in place so they can stay in the profession and that we can build a, a next level of, of leaders. You know, we always talk about, you know, what the, what we're building moving forward. And I think we're making strides in mental health and wellness. I think we're making strides in getting folks to understand that people have to come first. It, it just has to, right? Like, even if you don't want to, even if you're not comfortable, if you are that person, I think that was a great piece of advice. If you're the person that doesn't really know how to be a people-y person, like if somebody's crying and you're taking a mop and like patting them on the shoulder from a distance and being like, they're there, everything's okay. I, I do think it's, it's really important that folks learn how to be a chameleon and and move into the space where other folks are sitting right yeah the, you know the technology and all of that stuff will will drive itself it's it's all about the people if you and even the technology people if you take care of your technology people they're going to take care of you so it's, it's yeah. definitely people and uh, you know i'd be interested to have a conversation with you further one of the things we're we're finding is that oftentimes yes the job is stressful but it's not as stressful as life itself oh yeah and so we're, we're actually in the process of if it, uh, creating a full-time peer support coordinator position. Love it. Because we're finding that people need help on the outside. We're looking for a resource. You know, uh, where do I get rental assistance? Uh, yeah. What do I do about child care? You know, I'll, where do I find a good divorce lawyer? <laughs> yeah. and, and you know what's crazy? So you said that and I got goosebumps. So what that tells me is this is, yes, this is, this is super important in the session, the, in the, the keynote reignite your, that smoldering, smoldering flame. One of my slides 
right on, like it just says, leave your problems at the door. And when it comes up, folks see it, right? Cause that's the, that's the mentality. When, when I was first a baby dispatcher, I was yeah. told how many people told me, leave my problems at the door. You can't bring a home life into the dispatch center. Yeah. Well, the next click is the big round circle with the line through it is we have to stop telling our people to leave your problems at the door. It doesn't work. It never I has. need to know <laughs> as a good leader and I said this in the session that we did at Nina uh, with, with our panel that you were there. So thank you for your support there is one of the things that I said is we have to get better at stop saying that because I need to know what's going on with my folks outside the center. I don't have to be your friend, but I can care. And if I show that I care about what's happening on the outside and I help you get the tools and the resources you need on the outside, then guess what's going to happen? I'm going to keep you as an employee and I'm not going to have high turnover and empty seats. Yeah. You're, you're spot on, you know, and it's, I think the important piece, especially for leaders to understand is that I don't have to fix your problem. I just need to be able to help you to find the right resources that can help you. It's not my job to fix it for you. Right. And that's what leaders do. They point you in the right direction. Yeah. And I, you know, as, as far as a leader goes, sometimes we feel like we need to fix it and we have to have the answers to everything. And we don't, we can delegate and we can, we can find you other places that, that can truly help you. And I think if we get better at doing that, we will have less empty seats and we will have happier folks. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. I'll second that. That's a great story. I like it. All right, Jim. Thank you so much for your time. We will come back and revisit that uh, because it's important. And uh, I look forward to coming to see you guys, hopefully in the fall to do some training. So you keep yourself well. And uh, I appreciate you and all you do for our industry. Thank you very much, Tracy. Take care. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes, from the bottom of my blessed heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on Rapid SOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit rapidsos.com today.